All right, let me get us back into context of where we left off. There we go. And I'll pick back up here in uh, verse, I'll read verse 4 down to verse 11 real quick. He that saith, I know him, and keepeth not his commandments, is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoso keepeth his word, in him verily is the love of God perfected. Hereby know we that we are in him. He that saith he abideth in him ought himself also so to walk, even as he walked. Brethren, I write no new commandment unto you, but an old commandment, which ye had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word which ye have heard from the beginning. Again, a new commandment I write unto you, which thing is true in him and in you, because the darkness is past, and the true light now shineth. He that, he that saith he is in the light, and hateth his brother, is in darkness even until now. He that loveth his brother abideth in the light, and there is none occasion of stumbling in him. But he that hateth his brother is in darkness, and walketh in darkness, and knoweth not whither he goeth, because that darkness hath, blind, hath blinded his eyes. Alright, now as we pick up here in verse 12... I'm going to point something out a little bit as we're going forward, uh, and uh, hopefully it'll make sense. I read through this a number of times, trying to make sure that I took notes on here accurately. So let's pick up here in verse 12. He says, I write unto you, little children, and we are going to focus in on this phrase. Now, we've already seen this phrase used uh, here in uh, 1 John. Uh, as a matter of fact, back, back in... Uh, 1 John 2, verse 1, uh, we see it in verse 12, we see it in verse 13. Uh, as a matter of fact, if you go back, I didn't put this in my notes, but if you go back and count, you will find the phrase there, little children, actually used nine times. However, the phrase little children, as we notice, it's rendered little children in the King James, but of those nine times, it's two different words being used, okay? Okay. The King James doesn't tell you which word it's using. Uh, and so to get a little bit of an understanding, I will explain that there are different words being used. But nine times it's translated as little children, although they are different words. Okay? I write unto you, little children, because your sins are forgiven you for his name's sake. All right. What we've got here as we begin to look at this, and this is going to carry into verse 13. John here is dividing his recipients into three classes. We're going to notice this as we get into the next verse, but I have to point it out here as we start to get an understanding. He breaks this out into fathers, young men, and little children. Okay, We see that over in 1 John 2.13. What I want to point out is this. The Greek word here, P-A-I-D-I-O-N, that Greek word little children, in this verse or sorry, in the next verse, in 1 John 2, 13, is a totally different one than we see here in 1 John 2, 1 and 2, 12. 1 John 2, 1 and 2, 12 use one Greek word for little children, and 1 John 2, 13 uses a different word, okay? Uh, Pideon and technion, two different words, both rendered as little children in the King James. You may say, is this really a big deal? It's not. I just want to make sure we get it classified as to why he is doing this. Uh, you'll also find this same word uh, here. Remember when Paul talks about his, he says, little children in Galatians. I'm going to say Galatians 5.4 by memory. I could be wrong. 
uh, start at the beginning of Galatians and keep reading, but Paul calls them little children there, and he uses this word right here. I didn't put any of this in my notes. I'm just going by memory. We also find that, who else uses the phrase little children? Hinder not the little children. Jesus uses the phrase some. Paul uses it once, uh, the actual phrase, uh, and then John uses it quite a few times, okay? So let's focus in on what he's, what he's talking about here. I write unto you little children, okay, here in verse 12. The word technion here, little children, is referring to all the saints. He is talking about Christians in this verse, okay? He's, this word here is not designating age by relationship, only offspring. What I mean is, is sometimes we find the word little children, as we're going to notice in the next verse. That word is designating age or maturity level or immature, right? This word here is not designating age at all. It is simply saying offspring, like Larry has offspring. I'm not designating the age of his offspring. I'm just saying he has offspring. That's totally different than me saying that Larry has little children. You guys see the difference where I'm going with this so far? All right. So we're not, they don't mean the same thing. Here's the point. I write unto you, little children, the people he is mentioning right here are the offspring of God. We're talking about Christians or the saints. That's, that's who he's referring to in this verse. Okay. However, he is not done because as we notice in the next passage, although he is talking to all the saints, he begins to break it down a little bit. So, once a person's obeyed the gospel, they are clearly a child of God or uh, a saint or a Christian. Uh, but that doesn't mean that all who obey the gospel are going to be saved, right? And I think that's why we have the next verse. You have all Christians, and then of those who are Christians, you have faithful children and erring children. So here in this verse, he's saying, I'm writing to you, Christians, because your sins are forgiven you for his namesake. But now he begins to give us some more information. All right, let's continue to go on. I probably shouldn't have taken as much notes on this as I did, but uh, I think a lot of people will miss the point as they skim over this. All right. I write unto you fathers, that word there, uh, P-A-T-E-R. Just one second, let me actually pull the word up. I should have put it in my notes, but I didn't. P-A-T-E-R. I was right the first time. Just wanted to make sure. Uh, that it, where do we get that word in our English words? I never had to, but you might have to take a certain type of a test. Paternity test. Or uh, you'd find the same version of the word for the patriarchs. All right, so that's what that basis of that word is. I write unto you, fathers, because you have known him that is from the beginning. I write unto you, young men, because ye have overcome the wicked one. I write unto you, little children, because you have known the Father. All right, remember in verse 12, the previous verse, he's talking about Christians as a whole. Here what we find is he begins to break this down in divisions. 
Okay, what we have is actually being called out is maturation or the maturity level of the Christians he's, he's responding to or writing to that he calls out in the previous verse. He calls out Christians as a whole in verse 12. Here in 13, he begins to designate this. All right, so the fathers that he's talking about here, I've got all three classes. These are the mature Christians within the body. These mature Christians that we're talking about, they may not have... Now, he says here, you've known him that is from the beginning. That doesn't mean you knew him from the beginning. You knew him who was from the beginning. What was John 1, uh, 1, 1 through 3 teaching? From our same author, that Jesus was from the beginning. He was eternal. These mature Christians, mature in the faith, they have known Christ who was from the beginning. Now, they may not have known him in the flesh, but they, they know him in the fact that they believe that he was the Messiah and they have obeyed the gospel. Okay? Now notice the next group here. And I'm going to point out why I believe this is levels of maturity. Uh, and some take this very literal. I'll explain why uh, I think he's actually breaking it down. I believe he starts off 100% literal as he talks to the Christians. But then I think he's actually doing some, uh, showing us the different levels of maturation within the body. You've got different levels of maturity within the body. Young men, if you look the word up here, it actually is describing not men per se, but it's talking about youth under the age of 40, which five years ago this would have made me happy. I'm no longer under the age of 40, right? The word used here, so fathers, we're looking at those more mature. Young men, or actually the youth, those under the age of 40, he says, because you've overcome the wicked one. Well, what we have here are younger people. I guess we'll call them middle-aged people. Uh, and they are faithful Christians. How many of you ever hear people say, well, you know, the younger generations, they really have a hard time staying faithful, or they're not as interested in spiritual things as the older people. I will say this. I do believe older people oftentimes have more of a tendency to be spiritual. And what would be the reason why? What was that? <laughs> that's exactly right. I was going to phrase it a little different, but that's a better way to phrase it. Uh, they're closer to eternity. You go to a hospital, it doesn't matter what age you are. You go to a hospital, and everyone in a hospital who's really, really sick, they're interested oftentimes in spiritual things because they're closer to eternity. I think as we get older, we get much more wise and... We, to be honest, we don't really care as much about the temporal things. We do care about eternal things. But here we have younger people who are uh, being described as faithful. Okay, uh, They have overcome the wicked one. Now we see this other word here, little children. Remember the other word that we had was technion. Here is the word paideia or paideian. This word describes the young age of those mentioned. In verse 12, the word Christians there, the word little children, it is describing offspring. This is not just describing offspring, but it is more specific in it. It is describing immature offspring. Notice the difference. More mature, a little less mature, much less mature. Okay, this describes those that are young of young age. Here it's figuratively used to denote those who are immature in Christ but not talking about being literally young, okay? That's why it's a totally different word. So again, some have asked, is this literal or is this figurative? 
if we got the context of it, I wouldn't, if we got the context of the meeting, I'm not going to sit and argue with it over it anyways, as long as we got the context of what he's talking about, being faithful. Uh, but it is, I think, it is beneficial for us to come back and get an understanding. Some have asked, is it literal or figurative? Well, if he's being entirely literal, I want you to realize that there are no women whatsoever included in this list. None. No mothers, no daughters, no young, young girls. Go ahead, Larry. Where do they still? They fall under the immature. Exactly. Yeah, 100%. They fall under. We're going to point that out. There are people who have been sitting in the pews for 40 years and they have never progressed. As a matter of fact, what did Paul say? When it was time for you guys to be teachers, they needed to be taught again, right? Because they, they, weren't, they weren't where they should have been spiritually. That's exactly where the people you're discussing are. They're down in that level of the immature. They shouldn't be, but they are, okay? If he's being entirely literal, he doesn't mention anything about women, doesn't mention anything about the younger women or anything about uh, little, little girls or females. I looked up a number of different, what I would call sound commentators. I looked at a lot of different uh, commentaries from members of the church. I looked at those from members that weren't of the church. Uh, the majority of them, there are some that do not, but the majority of them do believe that the word fathers, young men, and children were used to describe three different levels of maturity of people within the church. Now, when I first noticed them making that suggestion, that's when I began to go back and look at the difference in the words. The one simply says offspring, however, the other word is showing immature offspring. To me, it seems very likely that that's exactly what he's doing. The children were the recent converts, or they could be those uh, that were really, really weak in their faith. The young men are those who had reached maturity in the Lord, and the fathers were those who had been in Christ the longest and had therefore attained the greatest spiritual growth. In essence, what he is doing is, is he is describing, as he writes to the Christian, that within the body there are really different levels of maturity. You can find people who have not been Christians very long who have matured much faster than those who have been Christians a very long time. Uh, sometimes, I'll be somewhat careful how I say this, <clears throat> sometimes one's, one's intellectual ability allows them to progress much quicker than another. Um, I won't say who this was or what, but today I was talking with somebody, uh, the supervisor at work about an employee and somebody was asking, why do you keep that employee? It takes him a long, long, long time to get it. He's probably never going to progress beyond what he's currently doing. <clears throat> and we had an interesting conversation, me and the supervisor, and I said, the, this person may have peaked out at their job in life. However, they can, be, they can be exceptionally good at this job, but it may take them literally quite a few years. But once they've done it time and time and time again, they'll get it. Well, the same thing is true within the church. How many of you guys know somebody who's a Christian who it seems to take them 85 times of messing up as opposed to somebody who learns after the first or second time, right? Some of us are a little more stubborn than others. Uh, we all have different uh, intellectual abilities. Uh, sometimes I read something and I don't get it. I'm sure there are people much smarter than me that read it once and they got it just like that, where I have to read it four or five times and say, let me think about it. So 
there's a lot that goes into why we have the different maturing levels uh, within, the, within the body. Some of it has to do with all the baggage we carry with us from the world into the church, right? Especially when you came out of some other religious group. Uh, the easiest person that I have ever taught the gospel to, when I met him, he was not a Christian. He was not an atheist. He was not an agnostic. I asked him what he knew about religion, and he said, I don't know anything about religion. He'd never been to a church, worship service, ever. His parents weren't anything, so he wasn't anything. He'd never studied atheism. He just didn't know anything. Uh, once we laid out the basis that there had to be a creator, and, and I got him to accept that, teaching the gospel was very simple, right? Because he didn't have anything to influence him. He didn't have any baggage with him. That's another thing we find within the church that seriously hinders or causes the differing levels of immaturity or lack of growth. So just as John is using figurative speech when he calls Christians children of God or offspring, because I literally wasn't born by God, but I was born again, and I am a child of God. So just as he uses figurative language by calling them the children of God, there in verse 12, it also appears likely he's using figurative speech in classifying these Christians into differing levels of maturity. Now, if you don't take that stance and you think he's 100% literal, as long as you get the context, I'm not going to sit and argue with you. I would probably lovingly disagree with you, but in the end, is it going to change anything if we get the context and the understanding of what he's saying? I think it's beneficial, but... Any thoughts or questions as we go, talking about the different maturity levels within the body? I will say, <laughs> be careful who you listen to. Uh, a a well-known Christian, well-known amongst probably vir virtually everyone in here, uh, posted a link to a uh, sound Church of Christ congregation finder list. Have you guys ever seen those? Uh, I had not seen this one, so I went to it. And guess what I did? I just slid down, and I picked one, and I went to their website, and lo and behold, guys, they were not sound. He is considered by many to be very mature in his faith, although he's made videos in the past that were not acceptable. But on this link, I doubt he looked up every single one of them congregations. <clears throat> How many in here are fearful of placing links on our website because of what it goes to? I am. And sometimes we even do our research, and we still miss something. Even that happens, right? We have to be careful uh, what we promote, who we listen to, because even if they may appear to be mature in the faith, they may have made a mistake. And my guess is he probably didn't have time to go look at them all. So that's really the concern. All right, you guys are going to be quiet today, aren't you? <clears throat> I have written unto you fathers because you have known him that is from the beginning. Didn't we just read this? Did I read this and then just stop for a minute? <laughs> I've written unto you, fathers, because you have known him that is from the beginning. I've written unto you, young men, because you are... Oh, yeah, it's a different verse. Because you are strong, and the word of God abideth in you, and you have overcome the wicked one. The Hebrew parallelism. He's basically repeating the exact same thing with slight variations. You find this... Does anybody know where we find this more than we do find it here in the, in the epistles? I'll say it that way so I don't give the answer away. Where do we find this type of language a lot? 
Hmm? When you go back to the Old Testament, specifically you start to look in the Psalms and Proverbs, you find a ton of Hebrew parallelism, where they basically will change it just slightly uh, and reiterate exactly what they said. Now, we do find it in other places within the New Testament, but we don't find it near to the extent that we find it within the Old Testament. Uh, this is how most of us probably did our book reports when we were in junior high. You guys are a rough crowd. That's how I did, that's how I did my book report, right? But for those of you that are laughing, you know what I'm talking about. You did the same thing. Right? Because you couldn't actually, you didn't want to cite the actual encyclopedia, but you wanted to repeat it, but in different words. That's what we've got going on here. Except, except this is by inspiration and we were, we were stealing it. All right. So he says, you've known him from the beginning. Well, we already touched on this. He who is from the beginning is the Word. John 1, 1 through 3. Uh, you can look at uh, 1 John 1, 1 through 3 there. The reference is clearly to the pre-existent Christ, or the Lagos, who has existed eternally. Now, I think, I think you have an interesting discussion with people, and even with, even with Christians who have not spent much time thinking about it. A lot of people, when they think about Jesus as being eternal, they think of Jesus as being eternal Jesus. But he wasn't eternal Jesus, right? First, uh, or John 1, 1 through 3, he was the Word, or the Lagos, in the beginning, when did he become Jesus? When he took flesh upon himself, right? When he was, when he was born as a man. That's when he, he, switched, he switched, in essence, roles. He's always been a, part, a member of the Godhead. He's always been eternal. Um, his role, as far as being, you had the architect or the designer, and then you had uh, the Lagos, who... If you go back even to Genesis, he carried out the work. We could go back and see that everything was created through him, that that was created. So you had the architect or the designer. You had the one that carried it out. And then you had the one that brought order. Again, in Genesis uh, 1, what, verse 2 there, what, what do we have hovering, hovering uh, bringing chaos into order? The Spirit. Same thing in the New Testament. Who's bringing order to um, the New Testament faith? Well, the Holy Spirit is, and he's doing that. Through inspiration, uh, he's, he by the Holy Spirit through inspiration gave us the Word, which is what brings order to the faith. So the roles were the same for God, for the first, second, and third members of the Godhead, uh, both really in the Old Testament as we find being defined, and even in the New Testament. You had the architect or the planner, the one that carried it out, and the one that brought order to it. Okay, that's a whole other study. We've touched on that before. All right, the three characteristics of the young are mentioned. Notice this, they were strong. The Word of God abode in them. And three, they had overcome the evil one. But here's the important part, and that's really as we get right here. The foundation of their strength was in the fact that the Word of God was in them. I think this directly links to the previous verse. Why do we have different classifications of maturity within the body of Christians? Well, because they are at different levels of either accepting and understanding the Word or, two, being able to carry it out faithfully. That is why we, we have the differing levels of maturity mentioned in the previous verse. It all has to do with the Word of God abiding in them. I think that goes back and we ask, what are all the different factors that tie in? Well, that's, that's one of the key 
Uh, you can't be faithful without knowing the word, but then what other things do we have? We mentioned things like people bringing in baggage, uh, people having um, their own personal temptations that vary from person to person. Uh, you have just a number of things that all tie into that. You guys are really going to be quiet today, aren't you? Yeah, I have heard that. Um, somebody once said, "You ever noticed that uh, all the members of the, or all the, all the preachers in the churches of Christ preach the same sermons?" Well, guys, we're taking them all from the same book, right? I mean, there's, there is no, there really, there is no new sermon. Like you said, if it's a new sermon, it's going to be some, some blasphemy topic such as preterism, premillennialism. Something like that. There are no new sermons. As a matter of fact, if, we're, if, if a minister is doing his job correctly, he's probably going to plagiarize about 60% of his sermon because he's going to read you the passages as he's explaining it. Right? So, yeah, they probably are going to sound fairly familiar. Go ahead, Jerry. Yeah. You know, we were talking, this was some time ago, so we were talking and someone had asked, we, what do you do if, uh, if, if, if a congregation didn't have a minister uh, who knows how to put together a sermon? Lo and behold, I hope this never happens, but if I were to walk out and get killed by a bus and nobody has time to prepare a sermon, somebody just come up and read a chapter out of the Bible. There's nothing wrong with that. You can read a, you can read a chapter out of the Bible uh, and, and, and carry out all the other acts of worship and you've done everything you need to do. Uh, the Word will speak for itself. Now, you can get people who are extremely well-trained, much better than I ever would be, in putting together sermons uh, and, and explaining stuff. But if you didn't have somebody, just you could just read the passages, right? That's more than acceptable. Uh, and like, like Jerry said, and, and, and like we've already heard, there's nothing new out there that's true. Uh, it's, you're, we're reteaching the same things that have been taught for 2,000 years. Uh, my... I wouldn't have any issue. I've got a lot of sermon outlines from some ministers that have passed away. Uh, I've got lots of them that I have never preached. Uh, but it's interesting. I have preached lessons very similar, but I didn't take them from their outlines. Uh, I probably could have, and they would have maybe a different layout in how they did it, and maybe even some better illustrations. But there's nothing new out there. So we need to be focusing here on the Word of God because this directly relates back to the maturation level within the church. If you've got people that are not preaching this and you get lots of I thinks and lots of feel-good stories and motivational sermons, very good chance you're going to have weak Christians within the body because they've, not, they've just not been taught. That lack of knowledge is really going to cause the congregation to hinder. All right, now we get into a passage you guys are all familiar with. Love not the world... Neither the things that are in the world, if any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Love not the world. Does, it, does this mean that you can't, you can't appreciate things in this life? Because what have people taken this extreme to? 
Minimalism, what'd you say? Hate the world? Asceticism, yeah. I was actually thinking of the, uh, um, the Sadducees or uh, the Sadducee insect uh, with the... They found them in the caves. Dead Sea Scrolls. Sorry, guys, it's been a long day. Yeah, Dead Sea Scrolls. They were, they were an ascetic uh, group that they went and isolated themselves. And people say, oh, those people back then, they were crazy. How about today? <laughs> How about in the last couple hundred years? We just were talking about some groups that somewhat isolate themselves. Anybody remember a couple of the recent groups that we were talking about? Hutterites. There was another group I was watching on uh, not long ago. Down in Kentucky, down around Larry's area, actually, you got the Shakers down there. Uh, you, yeah, they they were they were. I would basically say they were a, a an early. They were prior to the Pentecostal movement, but they had the same incorrect idea of the Holy Spirit. They're prophetess. Uh, believe that the Holy Spirit was working through them and you know, they're jumping around and all that stuff. So, again, they isolated themselves. You have a number of religious groups that have done that. Uh, cults, you've got tons of cults that do that. <clears throat> so you've got a number of people who have taken this, this to an extreme. We, we know that we're in the world, but we're not of the world, right? Uh, anybody have anything here that they collect? Is there anything wrong with collecting stuff? Car parts. Unless, unless it's like bazookas and tanks. That, you may have some legal problems there, but maybe, maybe not. And like John, John's got parts. There's nothing wrong with wrenching on cars, but if you're not willing to put the wrench down Sunday morning to come to worship, you, there's probably a problem there. What would we actually call that? And I, I'm mentioning this for a reason because I'm going to pull the verse up later. This is the verse I was sitting here thinking about. If we put, if we put wrenching on cars, or let's say it's collecting butterflies, we're going to go to a big butterfly collecting convention, whatever. Uh, that's probably not the correct word. But what, what technically is that? Idol tree. It is. It's idol worship, basically. And people say, oh, well, idols are things you hold in your hands. Uh, I, this isn't in my notes, guys. I'm going by memory. If you look up the word idol, it's interesting. Uh, the word there is actually, uh, I think it's edion by memory, but the word actually means uh, of, of seen things. Now, when we talk about idols, yeah, idols are seen things you have in your hands, but I think we take that word to a whole new level when we talk about idolatry because the things that normally are idols in our lives are the seen things. You should really go back and spend some time looking at that word idolatry. I, if I knew we were going to take this route, I would have gone ahead and spent more time on the word there. But it's talking about those things that are, that are seen, the things of the world. Idolatry in many, many forms has kept people from being faithful. And it's because, it's because of this. It's because they do love the world more than they uh, have the love of the Father. So here he is giving an exhortation to all three classes 
He's mentioned all three classes. However, they were all summed up originally there in verse 12 when he talked about little children of the offspring of God. That full offspring of God, which is comprised of really three different classes, all of them need to have this understanding that they're, they're not to love the world nor the things in the world, right? We're not taking any of the stuff with us. Whether you, whether you have a butterfly collection or whether you love to work on cars or whatever it is you like to do, you're going to leave that for somebody else, right? Somebody else is going to have your stuff. Uh, so the love of the world and of God are not reconcilable. There is an extreme there when we begin to try to get an understanding on the world and God. And you may say, well, what is the extreme? The extreme is, is that I keep in mind that God has first and I don't fall to forms of idolatry. Whether it's, uh, you know, I, I'm going to go commune with nature on Sunday. That's as good as worship. No, it's not. God, God created the nature that you're going to spend time in when you skip worship, but it's not the same thing. Uh, that's, again, another form of idolatry. Matter of fact, Paul addresses that in the book of Romans. So... All Christians, no matter their age, need to regularly be reminded of this fact. We are in the world, but we are not of the world. Uh, when I was walking down the hall and I heard that person screaming out profanity today at work, not one person said anything about the foul language being used. And you know why? That wasn't abnormal. The, the decibels that was being used was abnormal, but the language was not abnormal. Uh, I hear that language all day long, and to them, that's completely normal. For the people in the world, John, <laughs> probably Jerry too, I don't know, within your setting, but uh, Joe, probably same thing. People using foul language, maybe they don't allow it where you're at. They don't stop it. They're pretty respectful. They're respectful if I'm around, for the most part. Some actually will still do it and then afterwards apologize, but they'll still do it. Yeah, I know. You lived in it for I don't know how many years. Did you you work in that and to be honest it people don't even they do it so much they don't even they're so there are so much of the world they don't even know they do it uh, my wife will tell you before I was a Christian I had a foul mouth and guess why because I worked in the same environment as Larry and around people like John those are the kind of people you spend your time around and that's people people who are allowed like John People who are around John, not like John. The same type of associates, worldly associates. <clears throat> now, I do have to say, I do work around people that never speak like that at all. I do want, I do want to make a designation. Not all people out in the world... Uh, use a foul, foul mouth, right? But let, let me point, and I've mentioned this before, one of the guys that I used to know uh, in another congregation, he went to a gospel meeting and he said he was shocked when the guy leading the prayer was a co-worker. This was at a gospel meeting in another county. It was a co-worker who he didn't even know was a Christian. He'd worked with him for 20 years and he said he had the most foul mouth he'd ever heard. So sometimes it's not just the people in the world, it's actually people within the church that brought the world in with them. But we have to be very careful when we, when we begin to look more like the world than we do like the offspring of God. Clearly, you can see how this fits in as he's talking about the offspring and the different maturing levels that we have within the body. Compare this over to James 4.4. 4. 
Ye, this is pretty strong language. Ye adulterers and adulteresses, know ye not that the friendship of the world is enmity with God? And whosoever therefore will be a friend of the world is the enemy of God. Now that's not saying that you can't have friends in the world. Go ahead. Yeah, you know, I'm trying to think of a good example. Think about, think about when we're children. How many of you guys ever got your bottom swat for things that you did and you thought, my parents hate me, you know, because they're spanking me or they're, they're correcting me, and you, you, you literally maybe even thought it as a child, they don't love me. Why did they, why did they correct you and spank you in the first place? Because they love you. Uh, Sometimes we have to realize that correction is needed because we're off track. And if we ever get to the point here where we are friends of the world, where we're beginning to look more like the world than we are like the body of Christ, uh, oftentimes that's really where the love of the church needs to come in and straighten us up. This, this is going to be a sidetrack. You know what really drives me nuts with, the, with culture today? It is, the, it is the lack of logic or just, um, what I would say is using the same mindset all the time. And I'll use the example she brought up. She talks about abortion. The same people who go out and celebrate abortion are oftentimes the same people who are advocates against cutting down trees, that's not, it's not a human life. They're fine with killing a baby, but they're not okay with cutting down a tree. Or the same people who oftentimes just have very unusual, inconsistent views. Uh, I've actually known people who were totally, they were totally against cutting trees down, uh, but they were fine with killing babies. I can cut a tree down and actually use that tree to grow another tree. I kill a baby, I killed a baby, right? It's just, Yeah. But it doesn't go with their It doesn't go with the narrative. For anybody on watching this online, yet yeah, we're showing again it's not logical for someone to say it's okay to kill children and yet they're totally against capital punishment. Uh, let me grab Jerry and Wendy here. I will say this, when I was younger, I was all for capital punishment. And the reason I was all for capital punishment was not not because I had some biblical standard I thought it was a waste of taxpayers' money to pay for people who are vile people. I don't think that way anymore now. Are there people that will never ever change? Possibly so, but there are many who have changed. And why would I want, I would rather pay my, I'd rather my tax money go to keep a person alive in hopes that they could possibly obey the gospel. I'm not, I'm not die, die hard set against going out and, and putting people to death. Now, here's the good news, it's not up to me. Guess who puts them to death? 
The government's choosing to put them to death. I'm not making that decision. The government's going to do what they're going to do. But for me, if I was being asked, do you support this? No, I don't, because I would hope that that person would have a chance to obey the gospel. Uh, I saw. Let's get Jerry, and we'll move around. Disregard for human life is prevalent. That was actually a poll. Yeah. And it's like, I understand you love your dog, but a human life, there's a soul there, right? There's not even a question of which one you're going to go with. For me, I mean, there's not a question for me on whether I'm going for a child or whether I'm going for a dog. Even if it was my dog and someone else's child, there's still not a question. Yeah, they're murdering babies. That's exact. I mean, that's what it is. Now, here's the problem with today's society, and we touched on it last week in the sermon. People have, people base their ethics on, they have situational ethics. And usually anytime this topic ever comes up, where do they go with it? Well, what if a female has been raped? Let's get away from the, let me make you feel bad by making you seem like a bad person. The fact that something bad happened to a person is not corrected by doing something else bad to another person, right? The two are totally different. That is simply them trying to spin it around to make you feel bad. Is it horrible that something like that happened to a young female? Absolutely it is. But it's not any more worse than the fact that you're going to kill a baby to make up for something else that already happened. It's just, again, it's not logical. Let me grab John and I'll grab Jerry. Yeah, and if you actually look up the percentages, it's, it is decimal points. The arguments they use to justify abortion as a whole are always decimal point cases. Right? They, are, they are not representative. Uh, there, are late, there are women that are well-known who have had six, seven, and more abortions, and they literally have gone on TV and they're bragging about the fact. One of them saying, I love to kill, well, I love to kill babies. One of, the, one of the articles I read, the woman said she loved to be pregnant. But she didn't want children. She just loved being pregnant. And they had, I think they had aborted seven children. Go ahead, John, then I'm going to grab Jerry. Really, if you look at the majority of who's, who's doing that, it's typically younger women getting pregnant, you know, outside of being married. And they're too young, they can't afford it, you know, so on and so forth. Typically, it's that. It's not like someone was raped, like you said. It's, those are minuscule <clears throat> percentages. Now, yeah. Yeah, and for all those... For all, the, for all the women that I've met who have had that procedure done, they all went through that right there. And not <clears throat> one of them was content about it, like, hey, this is cool, it's great. Every single one of them had some sort of... They, were, they didn't have mental issues, but they had issues, obviously, with guilt. Yeah. And they wish they, they were devastated, <clears throat> and they wish they never would have done it. So it's not this, oh, I'm relieved it's all done. No. It's, it's mental damage. And for all those that push that phrase, my, my body, my choice, you should have reconciled the fact that it is your body and it is your choice and made that choice before you created another body. Because it's not your choice. 
it should not be your choice to kill another child because of that. Let me grab Jerry's real quick. do need to, since we're, since we're putting this on YouTube, we do need to make a statement. Yes, if you make the choice to abort a child, you are murdering a child. But for anyone watching this online who has done that, uh, there is 100% forgiveness in Christ when you obey the gospel and repent of those things. And I have to say, when I did my counseling classes, the majority, and I think John touched on it, the majority of women who do have abortions. Now, there are those that are just so hard-hearted from the world, they don't care, but the majority of women struggle with the fact that they have had abortions, if not right after, oftentimes later, especially when they've actually had children. And then they look back and realize what it is that they've done. If you're watching this and you've done that, you can be forgiven of that when you become a Christian and you're faithful, but you're going to have, you may have issues. Let me grab Larry first. We have a family member who's dealing with issues from that. Uh, my grandfather suffer, suffered really bad. Never spoke of the war one time until a week prior to him dying. And he, and he literally began to talk about the Battle of the Bulge and all the things that he had done. And he, he felt bad. And, you know, his statement was this, and I'm going to grab John. His statement was, you're placed in a situation by the government where you have to make a choice. They're going to shoot you or you're going to shoot them. If you want to live, you're going to do it. And he said... But the worst part was this. He said, I became so hateful. That's really, what, that's really what got him the most. Is, And he began to talk about things he had done to German soldiers. He, he would take their pocket watches. And he said, I just became a, I just became a hateful person. Uh, yeah, he struggled a lot because of some of the things he had done. I remember that. I, I get where he was going, but at the same time, it's like back to the, what Jerry was saying. There's a like overall disregard for human life. Um, and there's a lot of innocent people there. Not everybody is, over there was an evil. I hate every American type person. Um, you know, so there's there's innocent there's innocent people there that would be that be killed. And I think a lot of us. In, taken the, not alone, you know, but that's really not good, and kind of like you said, uh, that's less people to get an opportunity to hear the gospel, you know, so our heart kind of has to change on that, but, you know, I, and in regards to, I guess I hate to bring this up because it was, I mean, it was just touched on, but there's essentially a position that God has placed a government in that has the right, you know, he says they, they don't wield the sword in vain. But I, I mean, I'll leave that up to him to make that judgment. But if, according to the scripture, there was a time and place for that that yeah. God gave the authority to the government, and he didn't necessarily. I don't. Think, I don't believe he called that murder. No, he didn't. I wasn't a Christian yet, but as I listened to my grandfather, he he never felt bad about 
trying to stop an evil man. He, this is my personal assumption, my personal belief. I believe he felt bad because he himself had done evil things to other people in the process of doing what he was. He was trying to stop an evil man, but he had done evil things himself in the process of carrying that out on behalf of the government. And I think that's where he struggled the most. But there are a lot of, a lot of people struggling with issues like that. Let me grab Wendy and I'll grab you. Yeah, what was, Alec, what's the name of the uh, Medal of Honor winner uh, that didn't carry a gun that was in World War II? Private Dawson. Private Dawson. What movie was that again? Hacksaw Ridge. You know, his, the people he served with originally hated that guy. If you guys have never watched the movie, they hated the guy because he didn't carry a gun. Uh, and yet, he still proved he was, he was willing to... to work on behalf of the government to stop an evil man, but he wasn't willing to kill to do it. Uh, we've talked about this before, and there's a number of different beliefs on it. Let, let's get Larry had the last one, and then we'll have to quit. Yeah. I hope, I hope that none of us ever get to the point where we are so much like the world that we aren't willing to have conversations like this. Even though a lot of people think some of what we're talking about is very uncomfortable maybe, and maybe even disagree with each other and, and do so hatefully, I hope we never become so much like the world where we can't sit and have these types of conversations and still leave here as brethren who love one another. Let's go ahead and we'll hand it over to Joe. Sorry we didn't get as much done. We'll, uh, we'll pick up here next week.